0: Welcome to episode 9 of the Nickant Ant Podcast. Today we have a special guest on. She's a wilderness explorer, lead climber out in Virginia over the summertime. She's a van lifer, recent through hiker She travels with her dog full-time. She travels, teaches people how to get outdoors, how to do it the right way, leave no trace. And this girl... I've been following her for a long time now, and I learned things from her too, and I spend a lot of time outdoors myself. So I, myself, and a lot of other people who follow her definitely appreciate the work she does, and it does not go unnoticed. Very excited to introduce you, Hallie Hummel. Hallie, it's great to have you on. How are you doing today?
1: Thank you so much for having me, Nick. I'm doing great. Um, Just up here in the Pacific Northwest for a little bit and enjoying. It's actually sunny out here today.
0: All right, Hallie, I'm going to ask you the most important question of your entire life right off the bat. Do you eat mac and cheese with a spoon or with a fork?
1: So I eat everything with, Um, I call it my emotional support spork. Um, <laughs> It's one of those orange, <laughs> like, sporks from REI. I eat everything I eat with that. So.
0: Yeah. So you're, Both like, in a neither. totally different category. I was so that's awesome. Okay, I'm mean, not eating with a spoon. I know there's a lot of forkies out there. Normally, normally I ask people who come on here, what is their background? How'd they get here? So, who is Hallie Hummel? What's your background? How'd you get here?
1: Yeah, that is a long story. Um, <laughs> um, I've been living on the road, living nomadically for the past almost four years. Um. I taught myself how to hike, how to be outdoors um, when I was in college and just fell in love with it. Wanted to do everything I could to spend as much time outdoors as I possibly could. And so hence van life. Um, <laughs> that has kind of spurred into this seasonal work life um, in more recent years. And um, now I work as an outdoor educator and backcountry guide. And I'm just trying to chase my next adventure.
0: So, Hallie, why van life? Of all things, I know for most people, that's not a very comfortable life. I mean, to normal people, right? It doesn't sound normal. (laughs) Why did you choose that type of lifestyle?
1: I wanted to travel. I wanted to travel as much as I possibly could and... I was in college when I made that decision to hit the road and I just felt like I I felt like overseas travel was a little inaccessible to me because I was living on such a budget at the time and so I felt like I couldn't necessarily afford to have a solid place to live and get to do all the exploration that I wanted to do and so I decided, okay, let's just take home on the road with me and try to see as many places as I possibly can, while carrying my house with me. My dad says I'm like a snail; I carry my house on my back with me, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it just it just kind of made sense. It kind of made um, it made sense for me in the way that it gave me the comforts of home, but it also gave me the adventure that I was looking for.
0: That is amazing. And you started about, what, five years ago, right?
1: Uh, So I hit the road uh, June 2019, so almost
0: four years ago. Okay. So I feel like the van life craze didn't truly start till maybe 2021, 2020. I don't know. You've been at longer than me. You might have a better answer than me.
1: Yeah, yeah, it definitely um it was more of a niche group of people when I started. It was kind of fun and like novelty to meet another person out on the road um at the time. And now it's sort of commonplace. You see us everywhere. Um I I think it was around um twenty twenty, around like lockdown time, there were a lot more people kind of realizing that they could live this like working remote, working from anywhere life. And so they started to pursue their own travel dreams. And that kind of blew the entire van life community up into probably twice the size that it was prior to the pandemic.
0: No, you're absolutely right. I've car camped in many different areas. And I met part-time van life for years, like older people who are retired. And they're just hanging Uh out with them. Their wife, husband, whatever it is, their dog, just hanging out. They're like, "Yeah, we're retired. We just uh, go on the road trip for a little bit sometimes, and then we go back home when we feel like it." And I always yeah. think it's pretty cool because you meet—you never know who you're going to meet on the road like that. You still sleep in your Kia Soul. You're awesome yep. for that, by the way. I <laughs> thank you. Stayed in my—I've slept in my Honda Civic, and that's a tight fit itself. So yeah, you're living proof that people <laughs> don't have any excuses to do what they want to do.
1: Exactly. The Kia Soul, was it was my college car. It was what I had at the time. So I just I didn't want to feel like I needed to buy a whole new vehicle in order to live this dream lifestyle. So I started with what I had and it was uncomfortable it, it was really hard I did that for three months and I I slept in the back I also did not have rooftop storage which was um, a bad decision uh, <laughs> it made everything pretty cramped on the inside but it got me to 48 states and 30 national parks and I would not have had it any other way it was the best summer on the road because it was just everything was novelty everything was new and like yeah I was super uncomfortable but i didn't want to let myself feel like i needed to wait in order to have a better vehicle or be in a better situation like i wanted to travel so i made it happen
0: you built your last van i followed along with it would you recommend building out your own van or would you recommend buying one, I guess, custom?
1: Yeah, I've, so I've lived actually in five different vehicles over the years, a um, couple of which I either built myself or was a part of the build process, um, a couple I bought that were fully renovated by the time I got them. Um, and honestly, I would say building your own is the most beneficial thing that you can do if you're planning on living on the road full time. And the reason for that is if something breaks, which things are going to break, it doesn't matter how nice your build is or how much money you put into your build, things are going to break. You're bringing these vehicles down dirt roads. You're, you know, parking in potentially sketchy areas and things are going to break. And that's kind of just inevitable when you're using them constantly and putting wear and tear. And so if you built something yourself, you are going to have the tools and the knowledge of how that thing is supposed to function and be able to fix it no matter where you are on the road. Whereas if you did not build that thing, you don't know if your electric goes out and you didn't set up your electric, you're not going to know where those wires come from or where they go or what they do. Um, If your plumbing goes out and you didn't set up your plumbing, like, You aren't going to know exactly how everything was hooked up originally, and it's going to take you a lot longer to fix those problems versus if you were the person who initially put those things together.
0: That makes a whole lot of sense. You know, you probably become a lot more handy now living in a van, Mm -hmm. well, five cars now, rather (laughs) if you were just to have lived at home. I mean, you might have learned stuff just living in a house or apartment, but... I feel like being on the road in a van you were left with no other options at the end to fix it yourself unless you absolutely couldn't
1: exactly yeah there have been times where i've been you know That's... down dirt roads down forest roads and had to fix stuff and had to you know get my batteries working again or had to put things back together and it's always helpful when you're the one who's put the thing together in
0: the first place that's super amazing. And if anyone's listening and you don't know, don't know what we're talking about, building your own band, Hallie has a little mini series on her TikTok following her recent band build. It's actually really interesting. I was following pretty closely because I myself am still looking into getting a band and all the things she talked about were very helpful. So if you want to go watch that, go give it a watch. I'll link that below at the end of the video. And moving on, we're getting to the meet Hallie. You're recently just a thru-hiker of the Santa Monica Mountains, also (laughs) known as the Backbone Trail. Most people don't even know what that is when they're listening right now. They have (laughs) no idea what that even means. And I'm not the expert here, so I'm going to give you the floor. Tell me more about it. Why did you thru-hike it? Why are they important? How can we help? And what was the terrain like? Is it different from the Sierra Nevada Mountains? all questions like that. You have the floor, Hallie.
1: Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I ended up, I, I decided to basically dedicate my summer or my winter, sorry, to hiking this trail. Um, I grew up in the Santa Monica mountains in Los Angeles. Um, They, they are our primary mountain range. They're coastal mountains. Our highest mountain is only 3000 feet. So they're pretty low elevation, but they are Definitely still mountains. They are extremely rocky, extremely um, unique climate. They're one of the only places in the world that has a distinctly Mediterranean climate, which is really, really cool. Um, The Backbone Trail itself is a 70-mile long-distance trail that spans the whole mountain range from uh, Will Rogers State Historic Park on the east end to Point Magoo State Park on the west end of it. And, um, basically a through hiker is anybody who hikes and a trail in its entire length. Um, so from point to point covering every inch of the trail, um, in some way or another. Um, and it's, it's considered a through hike if you do it all in one go versus doing one section one year and then the next section the next year. So I recently through-hiked the entire Backbone Trail, um, so all 70 miles from Will Rogers to Point Magoo. Um, it took me six days. Um, I did this trail because the proximity to Los Angeles has been really affecting the mountains. Um, it has been attracting a lot of overtourism of certain areas, especially with super bloom season coming up with all the wildflowers and there's just been a lot of irresponsible recreation and so i decided to through hike this trail with the intention of sharing how you can recreate responsibly and how you can care for the land that you're recreating on without giving up that exploration and um, and while doing one of the hardest things that you can possibly do, if not the hardest thing that you can possibly do in Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area. Um, the Backbone Trail itself, I feel like is characterized by a couple things <laughs> um, in terms of terrain, um, in terms of the places that you go. You're going down into a lot of canyons, you're going up on these rocky mountains um not the rocky mountains just mountains with rocks um (laughs) and it's it's categorized or characterized really by there's a lot of erosion the trail is not very maintained there there was a lot of very sketchy um downhill sections that involved a lot of um slow movement (laughs) and balancing and there was a lot of Um, loose rock, a lot of erosion. There was even a sinkhole at one point that I had to go into and crawl back out of. Um, And a lot of that is the result of the recent rain. Um, Yeah, it was really interesting to see because it was not what I was expecting. In in the gradual areas and in the flat areas, it's super beautiful, super well-maintained. But anywhere where you're going down or anywhere where you're going up tended to be really eroded and really just suffering from this, like, kind of climate thing that happened with these atmospheric rivers this past December. Um, but something else that categorizes um, the Backbone Trail or, or um, something that I noticed it's kind of known to do is it takes you all the way to the bottom of these canyons, these deep, deep canyons, and then you have to climb all the way back up out of them. <laughs> and so... There was a lot of um, just a lot of downhill followed by a lot of really hefty uphill. And it was a really interesting journey. I had a lot of really great conversations with people about Leave No Trace. And um, I think hopefully a couple people learned a thing or two about how they can treat our mountains better.
0: So, Hallie, thanks for sharing about the Backbone Trail. Is there any way for the listeners who want to help how can we do that what do you recommend for us to go how can we help you and your endeavors with this project and just help preserve those mountains
1: yeah so there's there's a few ways um directly so i started the hashtag save the santa monica's um which i'm trying to make into a bigger thing i would like to do a bigger project or turn it into something bigger in the future um but as of right now i just have some stickers on my website that say save the santa monica's on them and they have a qr code that links to a bunch of leave no trace resources um so that you're able to like share that link with your friends and family and social media um, so those are $2 on my website and 50% of that money is going directly to the Santa Monica Mountains National Recreation Area. And the other half is simply going to printing more stickers so that I can keep this rolling because it's kind of expensive to print stickers in bulk. Um, and but really the thing that you can do to help the most, i am I'm a huge believer in recreation being a really important piece of the conservation puzzle. Um, I'm actually going to be guest speaking at an event in May um, about exactly cool. that, um, which I'll be talking awesome. about on my social media soon, hopefully once once I'm able to awesome. announce some things. Um, yeah. And um, so, I mean, I think the most important thing that you can do is, first of all, get outside and explore your local area and learn why your local area is special and learn why it is important and learn what you can do to protect your local recreation and and you know like learn what you can do to protect your local parks and do what you can so that those places first of all remain open so that other people can understand also why these places deserve love um but also do your part in leaving no trace pick up some trash maybe organize a volunteer day do what you can in your local Um, places your local wild spaces because that's where the true work starts it doesn't start with you know driving across the country to see this specific mountain range in California it starts at home and so taking your time to show your local wild spaces some love is exactly how I want this to kind of spur into a bigger conversation
0: so your website if I'm Right, it's at com. That's where they can go to donate to your stickers.
1: Yep. Stickers are in my oh. shop. Um, There's a pretty clear button at the top, so yeah. It's...
0: Awesome, Allie. So recently you've just became a wilderness guide or explorer. How did you go about doing this and why?
1: Yeah, um... So I, yeah, I'm a wilderness expedition leader. That's my current job title, which is really cool. Um, it kind of falls under the outdoor education category of, um, outdoor rec, um, professionals. Um, cause right now my, in my current season, my winter season, I am working with kids and working with teenagers, which is really cool. I absolutely love sure. teaching the younger generations about how to recreate outdoors safely. It's like my favorite thing. Um, Really, I got into this just simply because I wanted to be able to teach people how to um, how to access the outdoors. Um, I wanted it to feel accessible. I wanted people to feel like they had um, a mentor, even for a day, who could answer some questions for them. Um, So I actually, I started guiding out in West Virginia over the summer, um, this past summer. And um, now I'm going to be entering my third guide season um, very soon. Um gonna be leading trips up in the Pacific Northwest, which I'm super, super stoked be, about. Um It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm super excited about it. Gonna be working out at Columbia River Gorge in the Cascades and Oh man, um, that's so it's nice. Just, <laughs> it's just it's really special. It's really special to just be able to kind of be a vessel for that education where people might not have ever had somebody who's been able to answer those questions for them ever before. Um, they might not have been able to, you know, talk about like, oh, like, how how do I descend a mountain without hurting my knees? How do I tie this knot that you use for rock climbing? Um, if I wanted to get into rock climbing, what shoes do I need? Or if I wanted to get into backpacking, like, what's the beginner gear that I need? And they might not have a person in their life that can answer those questions for them or show them in real life. And so being able to bring people into the outdoors, sometimes for the first time, is really cool because it's it's helping to make the outdoors more accessible to people
0: that's amazing Hallie. you know I didn't grow up going to the mountains very much I mean I did a couple of fishing trips here and there with my grandpa maybe one camping trip but I pretty much didn't even go to the mountains till I was 20 20 years old so I could imagine being able to learn all that stuff experience it a lot younger it's I probably would have loved it even more now if I started younger, but that's amazing what you're doing and you're helping the future generation of people who are going to be recreating outside. So awesome stuff. I'm super stoked for you that you're able to go do that in the Pacific Northwest. That's one of the most beautiful places in the United States, hands down. Can't wait for you for that. Thank you. So you climbed out in the east for the summertime, what was it like learning the ropes of climbing? And is it hard to learn climbing?
1: Um. Yeah, oh my gosh, climbing is, there's so much, <laughs> there's so much that I could talk about. Um, <laughs> I actually started to learn how to climb in the southwest um, before I went back east for the summer. Um, So I kind of had a foundation prior to getting to West Virginia and then um, went out to West Virginia to climb for two weeks with a friend of mine and uh, she ended up convincing me to just get a job. (laughs) And so I started um, assistant climb guiding and um, climbing in pretty much every ounce of free time that I had (laughs) the entire summer. I was getting to the crag at 4 p.m. and climbing until nine o'clock and just you know, hiking out in the dark and doing everything I could to get on rock. And it was absolutely incredible. Um, East Coast rock is a lot different than West West Coast rock and Southwest rock, um, especially in New River Gorge, which was where I was based. Um, New River Gorge National Park is known for a type of rock called Nuttall sandstone, which is bulletproof sandstone um, that actually like kind of mimics Yosemite granite it's really, really interesting to climb on and it's really like slick. Okay, cool. Um, And so there's a lot of crack climbing. There's a lot of um, really specific movement that is um, characteristic of that rock. Um, And it was really cool to have to learn different technique um, than I did when I was learning how to climb in the Southwest um, in Joshua Tree and Uh in Arizona. Um, Learning to climb is so much fun but there's so many different things to take into account i i actually learned how to climb 100 percent outdoors um i'm a very recent gym climber i didn't start climbing in a gym until i'd already been climbing for almost um a year um and i also did start guiding within my first year of climbing um just based on how often i was out doing my sport um and really like you can learn the foundations in the gym which i think is really cool it makes it really accessible to people to you know you can learn how to belay you can learn how to lead climb when you're in a gym however i think you learn a lot quicker if you can find a group of people who are willing to teach you outdoors um because i learned all of the things how to set up all these really fancy knots and run a repel system and belay from above and do multi-pitch climbs Um, Simply from climbing almost exclusively outdoors over the past year, Um, or just over a year. I've now been climbing for more than a year. But I think it is hard to learn how to climb if you don't have resources available to you. It's very hard to teach yourself how to climb. You definitely need people around you, whether that's a class at the gym or friends who are willing to teach you.
0: So I've been really interested in climbing. I feel like climbing's been a more rising popular sport, and I've been really interested in climbing. So you said to use your resources and go people who have already climbed before. What advice would you okay. give about gear? Like, what's the most essential gear that they should be buying for someone who wants to get out there on the rock?
1: Yeah, so it depends on what kind of climbing you're doing. If you're just bouldering, you're not going to need things like a harness and a helmet necessarily. Um, So you're going to, I mean, I think any climber should just start off with shoes and chalk to start off, um, specifically because you can't really borrow shoes. Um, You can't guarantee that your friend is going to have the same size shoe as you, um, but you can usually borrow a harness. So if you're trying to learn how to top rope climb, You can usually borrow somebody's harness and usually borrow somebody's, um, somebody else is going to have a rope. You can borrow somebody else's belay device, um, but you should have your own shoes. It's really hard to borrow climbing shoes. Um, So I'd say start off with shoes um, and then get chalk because with those two things, you can boulder, um, which is really cool. So you can go to an indoor bouldering gym or you can try to learn how to boulder outside. Um, and that's a little bit more independent. You can go and boulder in a gym by yourself. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend um, outdoor bouldering by yourself. I think that's pretty dangerous. Um, but hey, hey. that's definitely a place to start and just like start learning some technique that way. Um, if you're more interested in top rope climbing, you're going to want shoes, harness, and chalk first. Um, once you learn how to belay, you're going to want a belay device. I'm I'm a gree girly. Um, <laughs> I I don't belay with an ATC because I think a Grigri is safer um, but they're also more expensive so it kind of depends on what you feel comfortable with and what your climbing partners feel comfortable with and as you start to climb outside more I think it's a really great idea to have a helmet Um, not for the reason of falling, helmets aren't for like if you fall and hit the ground Um, helmets are for if somebody were to kick a rock from above yeah. you And so that you don't get hit in the head with a falling rock. Um, So I think that's really important, especially if you're climbing in areas that are a little bit more, we call it chossy, is when um, rock has the potential to crumble. Um, It's just a lot safer to be climbing with a helmet in areas like that.
0: Right. I imagine like a place like the Southwest would be interesting to learn how to climb because a lot of it is sandstone. So a lot of that rock is breaking, right?
1: yeah yeah i mean the sierra with the granite is definitely it's super different um but we have a saying don't climb on wet sandstone um and that's exactly why because um when it's wet the holds are going to break off and if you climb on wet sandstone you could first of all ruin the rock which is awful we don't want to be ruining the rock that's climbers are all about leave no trace so we really don't want to be doing that in the first place but also, if you break a hold off, then you could be ruining the climb for another climber who wants to experience that place. So don't climb on uh, wet sandstone. That's
0: actually really interesting. I didn't know about that. I mean, it makes total sense why that would be that way, but I guess never thought about the reasons why till now. That's interesting. So I'm trying to learn how to climb, and like I know everyone recommends, at least for me, they've recommended me to go into a gym first but hearing your experience going out learning on the mountain first i'm thinking about going that route i mean i think i i'm mean, gonna have a lot of the mountains right here by me yosemite sequoia i mean i have all kinds of rocks so i would guess i just have to find some climbers to teach me how to do it
1: and like i'm in like socal climbers and i was in like new river gorge climbers when i lived back east and um it's a really good place to just find climbing partners and see if anybody see if anybody would be willing to mentor you
0: that's actually really interesting. Thanks for that. I mean, for anyone listening, if you want to get into climbing, Facebook groups are the way to go for pretty much everything at this point. Hiking, climbing, whatever you want to get into, there's a place for you on there.
1: Yeah, yeah. my best so, friend finds all her climbing partners on Facebook. <laughs> wow.
0: I. That's amazing. So you <laughs> travel a ton. Obviously, you live in a van, but uh-huh. what has your favorite place been in the USA so far?
1: But that is hard. My immediate is always Glacier National Park in Montana. I love that place. It's gotten really hard to visit since the last time I was there, which was 2019. Um, Right. But it's really hard to pick between Glacier and anywhere in Alaska. (laughs) Um, I lived in Alaska for a season, so I got to explore a lot of the state from Fairbanks south um, down into the Kenai Peninsula. And everywhere in Alaska is just absolute magic.
0: Yeah. You know, I have a friend who had on this podcast earlier on, and he, he lives in Montana in a small town up by Glacier. And he was telling me all the impacts lately that have been happening since uh, new tourism. Like houses is are getting it? harder to buy. It's getting crazier to visit. And he was saying it's hard for him as a local who's grown up, born and raised there. It's He can never see it. So it's interesting when we're talking about how to protect the land, just like how you mentioned, things like that. And he was saying how he one time saw a guy fly a drone in Glacier. He told him, can't fly a drone in Glacier. The guy said, okay, put the drone down. They walk like a couple of feet away from him. The drone went back up in the air. And it's just interesting to see some of the places that you're, or less visited now they're getting busier basically think about that and like i don't ever think alaska because like you mentioned alaska will get to that point just because it's so remote and the conditions are not. hard i don't know you might have a different yeah. opinion on it i don't think it will what about you
1: yeah i i think there's been a there's been a big increase in people going to alaska um not quite as much as places in the lower 48 um there's so much more happening in the lower 48, especially with those like top five national parks, which are Yosemite Grand Canyon, Yellowstone, Glacier, and Zion. Um, the Smokies is more visited, but I would say that the most yeah. tourism, the most like recreation is happening in those five parks, especially now. Um, that's, you know, that's why we have these restrictions. That's why you need permits and, A lot of it is because unfortunately there are those people who are just disrespectful like yeah you can't fly a drone in a national park and there's a reason for that it disturbs wildlife it's it's not just because we don't want to see your drone in the sky it has nothing to do with us as as recreators or as guides or whatever, as rangers. Like, I don't care personally. It doesn't affect me, but it does affect the bears and the moose and the deer who are living there. We're in their habitat. We have to respect them before we do anything else. You know, we're visitors in their home.
0: Right. Being someone who is a drone pilot, I don't even like flying drones when I'm in crowds in the national forest. I feel bad. 'Cause I'm disturbing <laughs> the peace myself and I'm like, well, okay, I'm probably just gonna do it only times when I'm by myself from my early morning sunrises in the national forest. But it's just interesting. I'm mean, like I've lived by the national parks and every time I go I always hear a drone after like all of these different restrictions signs everywhere. And I'm like, Dude, it's crazy. Traveling with your dog makes things more complicated. Yeah. NPS PS rule and <laughs> NPS does. has strict rules so to state parks sometimes. just depends where you go. Is it pretty easy yeah. for dog travelers to look up the guides, guidelines and rules?
1: Yeah, I've I've found that I never have an issue finding out where my dog can and can't come with me. Um, It's also pre- like inspired me to go and seek out other places that I've never, never would have considered going before. But I'm simply looking for a dog friendly trail. So it's brought me to some really cool places that way. Um, But yeah, if you're looking to like visit a national park, for example, with your dog, um, it's pretty easy to find those guidelines on uh, the MPS website. Um, Generally, when you go on the website, you can go into the like basic info tab, and it has a whole category on pets. There's only one or two parks that I found that don't actually have that category. Usually, if it doesn't have that category, they can't really go anywhere. Um, But generally, there's a couple of just sort of general rules that are the same for most parks um, which is your pet can go where your car can go so your pet can come into campgrounds picnic areas can walk along dirt roads usually Um, but there's a lot of parks where they're not allowed on trails um, and they're not allowed in the backcountry and The reasons for that are because they disturb wildlife and also people have a tendency to not pick up after their pets, Um, which kind of ruins it for those of us who do pick up after our pets. But um, there are reasons for it, and like you might have the best behaved dog in the entire world. I know I do, but um, that doesn't make you entitled to the trail. So it's important to look up those restrictions so that you are being respectful of those places. Um, state parks, it's a little bit harder to find whether or not they're allowed in certain places. Um, usually it's in the like FAQs on the website, um, but every state is different. I've noticed the Pacific Northwest, most state parks do allow dogs on trails. And in Southern California, a lot of them don't allow dogs on trails. Um, so kind of just knowing your your local um, restrictions, I think, is really important um, like, they're not allowed on SoCal trails because a lot of it is under wildfire restoration. So, yeah. Oh, um, you.
0: that makes sense. Yeah. Would you recommend traveling with a dog?
1: I would not have it any other way. Yes, it makes it so complicated. Yes, it, um, you know, forces me to go outside when it's below freezing because he needs to go outside. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it is so nice having a companion with me all the time, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm so grateful for the company of my dog. Um, and he gets me to visit those places that I never would have expected to ever go. And that's really special.
0: That's amazing. I know. I feel like if I was on the road by myself, I definitely would want a dog with me because keeps those quiet moments a little more not quiet because you got someone there with you.
1: Yeah. And there's a lot of um excitement when when you're least expecting it.
0: Yeah. So tell me about one most influential person in your life and how they impacted you in terms of getting outdoors and just helping you get on this mission, if there was anybody like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, the first person that always comes to mind is my dad. Um, He grew up hiking in the Santa Monica Mountains. So he raised me hiking in the Santa Monica Mountains. Um, You know, I was raised going to, um, there's this little park outside of LA called Vasquez Rocks uh, County Park. And so I was raised on the rocks there, just like scrambling around, like not climbing, but just like scrambling and touching rock and like getting really like dirty and hands on with the nature around me. And Um, went on my very first hikes as a kid and my first camping trip in Malibu Creek State Park in the Santa Monica Mountains. And a lot of that was because he really pushed for me and my brother to get outdoors and to experience those things hands-on because he did and he feels like it benefited him. And I think um, I wouldn't have had those roots in the outdoors if it weren't for him, even though I did kind of lose my love for the outdoors is when I was a teenager, but that's, you know, you're a teenager you're trying to find your way. Um, but I think as an adult, I've really come back to that and come back to, um, those things that he taught me. And, you know, he taught me how to pitch a tent. He taught me how to tell what poison oak is. And, um, I'm really grateful that I was able to learn those things as a kid.
0: That's amazing, Hallie. Um, not all of people have that kind of person who was to take them outdoors like that. I mean, because the average person doesn't really go to the mountains. At least I didn't go that often. So if you're looking for friends online who need to take you out to the outdoors, Facebook groups, they can help you out. If you don't got to dad like Allie's,
1: group. <laughs> Facebook groups. Yep. <laughs> or, or go on a guiding tour. The...
0: <laughs> oh. Um... oh. At a tour, Sunbird Soul Adventures, <laughs> by job, you do seasonal work, but also you're a content creator. Yeah. And you've built a pretty good-sized community on TikTok. What's your advice to those content creators and people who are listening who want to get to that level and build a community like that? How do you do it? What do you recommend? Things like that.
1: Um how I did it is a great question. Um <laughs> I still don't understand how the TikTok algorithm works if I'm being totally honest with you. <laughs> um <laughs> my community just sort of happened overnight. It was sort of crazy. I posted a video about my past travels. It was about travels from like 2019. And I was like, let's just start telling my story on TikTok and see what happens. <laughs> and um that video ended up blowing up like blowing up. um, And I went from 3,000 followers to 60,000 followers in a week, um, which was insane. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I guess, just going to keep making videos. And um, my engagement's kind of low right now, but it, it kind of ebbs and flows. Like, that's just how it is, Um, which is why I'm like, I don't know how the algorithm works. I don't know what TikTok wants to show to people. I'm just going to make content the way that i want to make content um and i think that that's the best thing that you can do is just tell your story be authentic make the content that you're passionate about don't try to you know fit into a box with it like trends are fun but only do a trend if you think it's fun like don't be doing a trend just because you think it's going to get you views like do the trend because you resonate with it and because it's something that you think is going to vibe with the message of your page um if you're trying to constantly be making content for other people, then you're not going to find the right audience. You you might find a audience, but it might not be the right audience. It it's, might not be the people who are going to stay with you. Um, and so, yeah, just authenticity, I think, is the best thing that you can do. And who knows, maybe you'll wake up and one of your videos will be viral all of a sudden.
0: Amazing. People, if you're trying to build a community, authentic, be authentic and make things you want to make. So Hallie, what does your morning routine look like as a van lifer? Is it a consistent routine or is it different every day?
1: Oh, nothing is consistent when you live in a van. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I I wish I wish it was that easy. Um <laughs> no, I it really depends on first of all what I'm doing that day, but also where I am. Um, if I'm somewhere where it's warm out, I, I will actually get out of the van and do everything, which is so nice because then I can stand up. I can't stand up in my van, so um, it's really nice when it is warm enough out and I can hop outside and stand up and brush my teeth. And if it's a private area where there's nobody else camped out, like I can get dressed outside, which is so nice. Just being able to stand up and do those things. Um But, you know, when it's cold out, you're brushing your teeth in the van. You're trying to warm yourself up. Um, The main thing that I make sure that I do every single day is I make my bed. And that's mostly because if I make my bed, then my van is clean because my whole van is bed. Um, (laughs) So I make sure that I make my bed every morning. I'm, you know, prioritizing taking my dog outside. Um, But, yeah, I mean, those are really the only two things that are consistent because everything else is environment environmentally dependent um but also just depends on what i'm doing that day if i'm getting up for a sunrise hike those things are gonna happen very quickly in the van while i'm trying to get everything together to drive to a trailhead versus if i'm just hanging at camp all day i can slow down a lot which is really nice and i i like that variety it works for me
0: would you do you see yourself settling down into a more permanent area anytime soon
1: yeah i'm um, kind of in the process of figuring that out, actually, um, Portland and the Pacific Northwest is sort of becoming a more of a home base for me. Um, I'm kind of in the middle of making a decision of whether or not I want to live in my van this summer and or whether or not I want to um, seek more stable um, lifestyle while I guide. And um, there's just a lot of factors to that. Um, but I've noticed that over the past year, and I don't know if it's because my van is so small, because I can't stand up in it. Um, I don't know if it's because of that, or if it's just because I've been on the road for so long. But I've noticed that I'm getting burnt out a lot quicker. and um, and that doesn't mean that I'm not still in- enjoying my lifestyle, enjoying the adventure and loving every second of it. But things do feel a lot more difficult sometimes. Um, and... It's just something that I'm kind of having to come to terms with of just like, you know what? Like, maybe it's time to take a little bit of a break. Maybe that would be good.
0: You know, I follow this couple they called the Adventure Addicts. They traveled over Is the it? summertime and then they bought a house and all over the bought They got a place in Tahoe and they Is said it? that they loved being on the road, but they do appreciate the time they have at the house now. Being able to yeah. chill, things like that. And, like, I always imagine myself if I was to get a van and go full time with the van, I probably would do it for a short period and find a place to live. And then do van life mm-hmm. like part time, like, you can go whenever you want type of thing. Yeah. And there's benefits, there's pros and cons to both. It's just up to the person at that point.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's so many pros and cons, and it's, so dependent on like what you're seeking from your life at that time um that's kind of why i ended up landing in west virginia i was feeling really burnt out and i was like you know what i have a job opportunity here i have a community i have amazing access to rock climbing and i get to work in a national park like let's hit pause for three months and
0: see what happens yeah because that wasn't your original plan right to stay in west (laughs) virginia
1: No, no, I was supposed to go out there for two weeks and just climb with one of my friends and then leave and drive back across the country and hit a bunch of national parks along the way. Um, And then a couple life shifts happened and I just realized, you know what? Um, I think being a little bit more stable, at least having a solid place to park my van every night is going to probably be really good for my mental health. So that was was the decision, yeah.
0: So what's your advice for someone wants to travel more maybe they're younger maybe they're older and they're just scared or or have like they're like right there they're about to go but they just can't get over that hump to go travel what's your advice to Uh them
1: yeah i mean there's a couple things um my first and main thing is always going to be don't wait for anybody else to start living your life um if the reason why you're scared to hit the road is because you're going to have to go alone, then you're going to be the person who benefits from going alone the most. Um, You can't be waiting on people. If you're constantly waiting on people, then you're never going to go. Um, But if it's more of just like, oh, like, I don't know what's out there. I don't know how I'm going to do everything. Um, You know, start off with smaller adventures. Um, one of the first things that I did before I hit the road was I just started like taking myself to the beach like 30 minutes from where I grew up and just going and sitting on the sand and writing in my journal for a few hours and just taking myself to new places and allowing myself to feel what it felt like to visit a new location alone and then eventually went to the Grand Canyon by myself and um that was an awesome experience because i got to experience um navigating a national park by myself for the first time and you know you start you build those steps up and if you can slowly take yourself out of your comfort zone your bubble is going to get a lot bigger your comfort zone is going to get a lot bigger um so you know you can go from taking little few hour trips to the beach on the weekends to flying out of the country alone. And both of those things are going to feel just as comfortable to you just based on where you're at in your growth.
0: That's great advice. I've taken a few socials by myself, and I was terrified. I mean, I (laughs) grew up not being independent. I've always been dependent on someone, whether it's parents, partners, anything like that. And so forcing myself to do that was probably the greatest decision I ever made not just because I was able to see like these beautiful places but just to become more independent self-reliant and learn how to like do things on your own and I think that part of solo travel is very valuable to teach you those life lessons
1: yeah yeah definitely just You learn so much when you're forced to deal with it on your own. (laughs) Um, Uh, You learn a lot really quickly. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things. I feel like I've lived like six different lives already and I'm only 25 years old. Um, (laughs) Just simply because of um, everything that I've, you know, put myself through essentially, you know.
0: So... Also, what advice would you give to someone about solo travel in terms of sleeping arrangements, things like that? I mean, that's something that I was nervous about when I was doing my trips out on my own. What are some tips you would yeah. give to someone to for sleeping?
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends on what kind of travel you're doing if you're if you're camping, um, start off in a campground. You know, you you don't have to go far out into the public land world of dispersed (laughs) camping where you're out in the woods by yourself and you're down a dirt road. Like, that was not where I started solo camping. I started in campgrounds where there's usually families around and you have access to rangers if somebody's making you uncomfortable. Like, there's a lot of resources that I think are really great about established campgrounds if that's the route of travel that you're going. Um, But if you're thinking more international travel and you're flying places, hostels are awesome. Um, Because, you know, you're not by yourself. You end up meeting friends, which is amazing. Um, And you have a community. You're just like surrounded by people who are also probably doing the exact same thing. Um, I used to manage a hostel and the amount of people that I met who were you know traveling for the very first time by themselves like there were people who came up to me who were like i'm so uncomfortable i'm um from i i remember distinctly there was this man from costa rica who had never traveled by himself and his first destination that he chose was fairbanks alaska and i was like that's so far from home Um, but he ended up having these amazing conversations with myself and with some of the other guests and ended up having a great time and so hostels are such a great resource for solo travelers because you're going to meet other people who are either in your same boat or have been and you can learn so much from them and make incredible friends and connections
0: that's amazing Hallie so what can the people following you on social media people listening here expect from you next
1: yeah so um I don't even know what to expect from me next honestly (laughs) (laughs) um but, but there are going to be more through hikes in my future. Um, I'm praying for Wonderland trail permits for July or August. Um, I'm hoping that it's going to be so cool if we're able to, if we're able to score those. Um, that's a, it's a long trail in, uh, Mount Rainier National Park in Washington. Um, And then I will be through hiking the Oregon coast trail with my dog, uh, this September and October. So that is going to be so much fun. I'm so excited to be able to take him with me on this trail. It's about 400 miles long. Um, and then, yeah, from the Washington state line to the California state line. Um, so that's definitely my future. I know those things are happening and a lot of Pacific Northwest content, honestly. Um, But I'm also hoping to expand Save the Santa Monicas into something bigger than just the Santa Monica Mountains range. I really want to continue Uh that conversation, teaching about responsible recreation and Leave No Trace and how to responsibly just be in the outdoors in general. Um, I want to expand that conversation beyond Southern California and into other wild spaces so that other people can learn and other people can feel that connection who aren't from los angeles
0: sounds like you have a lot coming up and that's super exciting i hope you get those permits for that wonderland trail and you're gonna be the next craziest through hiker people watch (laughs) out hallie hummel next through hiker let's go so
1: yeah i'm excited
0: where can the people learn more about you social media handles website
1: Yeah, so Sunbird Soul is my social media um, on both Instagram and TikTok. Um, Sunbird Soul Adventures is my website. Um, I may be changing my handle to Sunbird Soul Adventures soon just so that everything is the same across the board, but um, not 100% sure on that one yet. Um, But yeah, Sunbird Soul is currently my social media, so make sure you're following along because life is changing rapidly and I'm excited to share it with everybody
0: sure you guys follow along with her there. Hallie, what's one final thought you would like to leave with our listeners here?
1: Get outside. Get outside. It doesn't matter what you're doing. You could just be sitting in the sun, having a picnic. Just connect with nature in some way, and I promise it is going to benefit you in some way.
0: Some way or another, connecting with nature is the best thing you can do for yourself. I... I've been getting out there for the last three years now, and it's been the best decision of my entire life. So, if you're following along here and you're listening to this episode, you can follow Hallie, Sunbird Soul, on Instagram and TikTok. And if you want to follow along more for the podcast, it's NickAmp Podcast on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. If you want to follow me, I post cool stuff about mountains, trees, all stuff like that. It's at The Nick Amp. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. I think I'm somewhere else. I don't know. But yeah, you can follow <laughs> me there. And I appreciate you so much for listening along. Like I mentioned before, this podcast is to be interviewing people in the outdoor industry, whether they're business owners, photographers, creatives, outdoor enthusiasts, athletes. I want people to share their perspective with all of you listening because... There's something that you can learn from every single person here, and I hope that you enjoyed this one. Hallie, really appreciate you coming along on this episode with me, chatting with me. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. It was fun.